I want to be strong, to have the flexibility and confidence to play soccer with my kids or volleyball on the beach. I want to feel energetic and spontaneous with my husband. I want my body to feel the freedom to move and enjoy life, to hike Yosemite, surf in Hawaii, bike to the beach, to have fun with friends and not be limited. I want to do things that love my body, to feel and experience all the sensations of life. I want my body to be a force in nature that overcomes difficulty and resistance. I believe in health and wellness and daily consistent exercise. I'm thrilled to have pelvic floor physical therapist Marina Kessler back in the studio for a deeper dive into pelvic pain. If you haven't had a chance to listen to her first podcast, um, it is episode number 17. It's called Tips for Bowel, Bladder, and Sexual Health. Be sure to check it out. Today, we will be discussing pelvic pain, why it happens, and how physical therapy can help. Welcome, Marina. It is great to have you here. Thank you very much, Beth. It is great to be here again. Yes, and I look forward to talking about pelvic pain. So tell me a little bit about your journey specializing in pelvic pain. Uh, I started out uh, working with patients with incontinence problems, with urinary and fecal incontinence, and many of them, along with their symptoms of urinary and fecal leaking, were complaining of pain. It was vaginal pain or it was vulvar pain, and um, I felt that it was important for me to investigate that topic further so that I would be more competent in addressing the issues of pain with these patients. Uh, definitely um, took more courses, um, opened my mind into possibilities of what physical therapy was able to help with with these patients and we're definitely going to talk about that in detail it was a journey didn't start right away Mm -hmm. i had to achieve my own comfort level with treating the patients who have pelvic pain Mm -hmm. whether it was uh, just a simple vaginal uh, pelvic floor muscle tension or it was the pain that was associated with uh, such conditions as endometriosis interstitial cystitis irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. What is it? How do you define pelvic pain? What I'd like to talk about specifically is vaginal or rectal pain associated with the intercourse, which is called dyspareunia. Mm -hmm. It's a Greek word, and um, it basically means intercourse pain. It can happen to men, but it is more common in women. And um, there are a lot of underlying conditions that are difficult to diagnose and treat. And the causing factors are complex and poorly understood. Mm. The vaginal or rectal pain can be um, grouped as a sexual pain disorder. And a lot of times they're overlooked and badly managed. Yeah, so how common is this issue? Globally, the prevalence ranges from 3 to 18%. In the United States, the prevalence of dyspareunia is approximately from 10 to 20%. Uh, leading causes vary by the age group. And uh, pretty much in the reproductive aged women, it ranges from 10 to 28%. Okay, for reported. 
for pain. reported pain. But mm-hmm. a lot of times what happens, these types of symptoms go unreported because people are, both men and women are just too scared and too intimidated and embarrassed to talk about it. So I will ask the question on behalf of the general population, is it normal to have pain with intercourse? No. Never so, was, never will be. Yeah. So I think for some women out there that may not know that this isn't normal um, because they've never been able to reach out to anyone, they didn't know there was help, I think first and foremost we want to say it's not normal. You bring up an excellent point because a lot of people succumb to the notion that it must hurt to have sex. They associate sex with pain and it is not so and it is not designed to be painful, designed to be pleasurable. So if this is something that someone's just finding out and they didn't know that this was an issue, what can they do? They can talk to their primary care provider or they can talk to their treating specialist, their gynecologist, urologist, whoever they're seeing, and they can ask and be (laughs) proactive about it to be sent to physical therapy. Great. So let's talk about physical therapy. How can... What does physical therapy do for this issue? Makes it go away. Yeah? <laughs> In a way. <laughs> it definitely reduces the symptoms. It helps the patient understand why they're experiencing this pain because that really is a missing piece. Not only what causes it, but why it happens, why the pelvic floor muscles generate so much tension. And um, with the means of manual therapy and sometimes stretching modalities, the pain is significantly decreased or almost obliterated. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, tell us about like a PT examination. What does that look like? PT examination is complex and thorough. We go through history of how the pain started, what precipitated it, what associated symptoms, conditions, and diagnoses the patients have with it. So they takes a big portion of the history, um, how the pain occurs, its behavior, what makes it worse, what makes it better. Because sometimes, believe it or not, this pain will be provoked with a sexual intercourse. Sometimes it will be non-provoked, or mm-hmm. it's called unprovoked, which can happen during the speculum exam, or it can happen any time this area is being touched Um, let's say with the applicator or if it's a vulvar pain just the underwear may irritate it for Mm -hmm. example Um, so subjective examination is really important we're asking about in women about the history of their menstrual cycle the history of the pregnancies deliveries how they went were they traumatic or not Um, if they're menopausal if they're perimenopausal um, their occupation, their activity level, because that really determines of how the tone of the pelvic muscle is. Um, urinary symptoms, fecal symptoms, general activities level as well is important. And when we gather that subjective information, then we go into the physical examination, which will consist of the assessment of posture, uh, assessment of symmetries, 
starting from the cranium or the head going into the rib cage, into the pelvis, into the hips, into the legs. You would ask why is it important? A lot of times the dysfunction in the cranial bones will exacerbate the dysfunctions in the ribs and in the pelvis. And when you have those bony dysfunctions, they will change the length tension relationship in the pelvic floor muscle area. Oh, okay. Uh, then we will go into uh, assessment of gait, gait analysis or movement analysis of how the, p the person moves. If they have pain with specific movement, um, sometimes if they have pain with specific positions during the intercourse, I will ask them to demonstrate the actual position, not the, not the act. Um, we do the uh, assessment of the abdominal wall, including the scar tissue assessment or vascular changes. We'll look at the respiratory patterns, how the person breathes, what they involve in their breathing dynamics. Um, we do the connective tissue and the skin assessment of the areas that uh, we would say like close to the perineum. That includes the hip area, the front, the back, the inside of the hip muscles, uh, the buttocks, the lower abdomen, the pubis. And after this, we definitely look at the range of motion and the strength of the hip and the lower extremities. Also, we look at the abdominal strength um, to see how strong or weak the person is or where the imbalance really lies. And after that, with the patient's permission, uh, we will go ahead and do vaginal or rectal digital exam. Most of the time vaginal exam because the pain is uh, during the vaginal intercourse predominantly. And we will we'll do what is called pelvic floor mapping where a physical therapist will find out which pelvic floor muscle has tender points. And as an analogy, we use something that's called a pelvic clock, which actually represents a normal clock. And the pelvic floor muscles are positions according to the hour on the clock. Mm -hmm. So we know which muscles represent which hour, and that's how we map, and that's how we can tell where the pain is actually located. Uh, we can also do the assessment of the peripheral nerves of so the femoral, sciatic, pudendal, iliohypogastric, ilioinguinal nerves. Um, we can definitely look at some other soft tissue assessments, myofascial restrictions. If the patient has a low back pain, we will definitely do a lumbar uh, spine examination to check on the movements, to check on the mobility of the spine, of the accessory motions as well. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty comprehensive exam. Very comprehensive exam. exam. Yes. And great for a patient who is having pain and don't, doesn't know why. So to be able to go and talk to a physical therapist and have them listen to your complaint, yes. listen to all the issues, and then to be able to diagnose and be able to help you come to understand maybe where the pain is coming from, why you're having it. Right. And then the help. Let's talk about help for these ladies. So they go through an examination like this. What could they expect help with? First of all, the examination may take several sessions. We may not get to every single aspect of the exam 
on visit one. And I think the most important value in the examination is people get to learn about their bodies. Mm -hmm. When they get to learn about how their bodies move or should move or don't move, they actually realize that there's things that they can change about the movement just to begin with. Um, and they start having a much better, m much more uh, concrete awareness of their own uh, body parts mm -hmm. in a way. Um, the treatment of the pelvic pain and specifically of vaginal pain can be directed only at the musculoskeletal component that we as physical therapists are comfortable treating, but also in the course of the examination, I may find out that there are certain things that the patient needs to address with the physician um, if they have ongoing irritable bowel syndrome or interstitial cystitis uh, or endometriosis and they're medically treated. There are certain things that the physician needs to address in order for physical therapy treatment to be successful. In other words, patients with pelvic pain need to be treated with a multidisciplinary mm -hmm. approach. That team usually should include a physician, a gynecologist, urogynecologist, urologist, a gastroenterologist or colorectal surgeon, a physical therapist, an acupuncturist, uh, a behavioral counselor or a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And also, the last but not least, a sexopathologist or a sex therapist. Yeah, that's good. So that, that, that type of approach tends to be the most successful. Because even though a physical therapist can address some of the physical ailments and the movement dysfunctions, to address the emotional component and the psychosexual and the biosocial components, sometimes, many times, you need um, another specialist, you need behavioral specialist. Yeah, I mean, just talking about pain and how pain is registered in the brain. It's interpreted in the brain. So let's talk about that. Yes, and this is bringing us to the pain centralization theory, how the pain is interpreted in the brain, um, how it receives the input and it gives out the input and the perception of pain in the patient. This is another big piece that we educate the patients on. Some patients uh, are not as sensitized in other words, their brain is not as sensitized to the pain as others. But I really think the big value explaining the pain theory and pain centralization and how to dampen those interpretations of pain where they don't seem as scary. And the, usually the muscle mapping helps it out where the person realizes, oh, these are my muscles that can refer pain to the organs and organs that can refer the pain to the muscles. So it, it stops being such an enigma that really helps to desensitize the feeling of um, painful. Yeah, let's experience. talk about pain sensitization because that is a big word, but really important for patients to understand um, how our bodies can become 
more sensitive to pain. So, you know, you might experience a sensation that could be a normal sensation too, but how your brain is interpreting. Interpreting over time uh, where you are catastrophizing about the pain and you can't really explain it. And plus the pain occurs in such a private area of your body and you have a lot of emotional and uh, a lot of times cultural and religious and personal upbringings and attachments, let's say to the perineal, to the vaginal area. So that can really magnify um, the painful response. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's really uh, helpful, I think, information for people to understand about pain. Yeah. And especially when you've had it kind of a long-standing pain. When it lasts for a long period of time, it really changes the brain itself. It changes the brain chemistry. It changes the response to pain. The person uh, accepts it sort of in a way lives with it thinks that it is normal or can really catastrophize on top of it and um, because the pain can be fluctuating or cyclical you know Mm -hmm. if you have uh, symptoms that are associated with the internal organs is that I I really want to talk about some of the reflexes that are um, happening because that that really what makes pelvic pain so difficult to treat is because we have this something that's called visceral visceral hyperalgesia it's a big word but it's basically crosstalk of the pelvic viscera of the pelvic organs with shared innervations how the nerves innervate um, both the muscles and the organs in the pelvis Hmm. and that explains the association of the one chronic pelvic pain syndrome with another pain syndrome, like interstitial cystitis and irritable bowel, endometriosis and irritable bowel syndrome, endometriosis and interstitial cystitis, mm. because of that shared innervation. And um, the other reflex is called visceromuscular reflex. It's because the pelvic organs and the pelvic floor muscles share the common innervation and the same neurological reflexes. Okay. So you've got complexity of the visceral component plus the musculoskeletal component all happening in the same area. And it's not a very big area if you really think about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So if those nerves are doing this crosstalk, if, um, you know, we talk in the pain centralization theory, you, you're waking up the neighbor, you know, when when one nerve is irritated, is going to light up, ignite the fire in the nerves that are surrounding the area. And pretty much within a short period of time, everything is going to be ignited, everything is going to be inflamed, and you're going to have this neuroimmune um, response that is out of control. So how is it helpful to understand that for women that are currently experiencing pelvic pain? Why is this important to know? It's helpful to understand that, that there there is a duality in the innervation. And by working with the pelvic floor muscles, a lot of times we can quiet down the 
referred pain that's coming from the pelvic organs. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps to understand that in terms of management mm -hmm. of it, you know, practical management. That's great. I think, you know, just kind of a, a nice analogy is an alarm system, you know, when, um, you know, pain can be like an alarm system. So the burglar might be, you know, a block down, uh, but yet your alarm system in your house is going off. And pain can be the same way, just exactly what you're talking about. So That's exactly right. So there isn't any danger. Pain doesn't always equate danger or injury or trauma. In, in it, a way, yes. You know, it's a warning system. It's a warning really system. Really a warning mm -hmm. system. And then another important point in this discussion is that nerves can secrete inflam inflammation. So with pain comes a lot of inflammation. A lot of times when we do the vaginal exams, we will feel how hot the vaginal wall is. And it's not only because mm. it is painful, it's because it's inflamed. Mm. So quieting down the inflammation is also very important. Yeah. Can we talk about how to calm it down? There is a major lack of awareness of the pelvic floor muscles. Then it's important to connect the patient with their pelvic floor musculature through their ability to contract and relax their pelvic floor muscles. Not necessarily they should be doing Kegels, not at all, but in order for them to know where their muscles located, so this is you know, just the basic beginning of the management, they need to know how to contract and relax the muscles that they have. Um, if they're not able to recruit those muscles, then those connections need to be addressed specifically. I have to say a lot of times with pelvic pain, the muscles tend to be tight, non-functional, and very weak. So our management, the primary goal becomes to release those muscles, to actually open them up not to tighten them even further, not to strengthen them even further. Um, that leads me to the next uh, factor, which is the hypertonic pelvic floor muscles when they have tons of tone. We can offer relaxation exercises, down training for the pelvic floor muscles, and it can consist with yoga positions. It can consist with just visual imagery uh, how you visualize the muscles opening up, separating, widening, melting. Um, and we definitely use something that is called biofeedback equipment for that, um, where the visualization is paired up with the visual imagery and the patient can actually see the results of their uh, visual imagery exercise, how that affects the um, release of the pelvic floor muscles. The next very important piece of the management is diaphragmatic breathing techniques because proper breathing aligns all four diaphragms. We actually have five. Uh, one is anatomical and four are functional. How it aligns them in the body. Um, it basically uh, draws the awareness to the tensile tension held in the pelvic floor muscles and actively allows the tension to decrease. So that would be uh, maybe a 
topic for our next podcast. I think so. Read, uh, <laughs> yes. Properly and what to do. <laughs> yes. Then um, we uh, strongly recommend the patients use what's called vaginal dilators. They're basically stretching devices, medically uh, appropriate, medically necessary uh, devices to teach the patients how to relax and downtrain their pelvic floor muscles and also to stretch the vaginal wall. Also, the vaginal dilators can be used specifically to release the trigger points that we found during the examination in the pelvic floor clock. Mm -hmm. Besides the vaginal dilators, uh, manual therapy, which includes trigger point and myofascial release, external and internal for the pelvic floor muscles and the muscles that are surrounding the perineum, hip, buttocks, abdomen, superficial pelvic floor muscles, all of those manual, gentle manual therapy techniques are employed. Um, if the pain is centralizing, then definitely addressing the principles of the centralized pain, explaining this to the patient can be helpful and informative. Um, if the contributing factor is posture, because a lot of times the posture uh, being really slouched, uh, having all kinds of postural deficits can increase the pelvic floor muscle tension, then it needs to be addressed through manual therapy, postural retraining, corrective exercises. That's great. I would like to talk a little bit more about the muscle tone. I think for a lot of women, we can't quite visualize our pelvic floor muscles like you can your bicep muscle or your, you know, a lot of women we have upper, um, you know, neck tension that you're very aware of. You know, you might go see your doctor because you've got, you know, your um, upper trapezius or just your uh, shoulder muscle. So you can visualize the tension there. And I think for a lot of women, we're just very disconnected and can't see or picture these muscles. And you know, someone might come in with just pain and they don't even know how to or what you're talking about. And so let's just help women maybe just picture it a little bit better and help them be able to visualize what you're talking about, what we're talking about today. Beth, you're bringing an excellent point. A patient education is paramount. And that is why in the office we have pictures of the pelvis. We also have plastic models of the female and male pelvis, uh, complete models where we actually can demonstrate the location, not only of the musculature, but of the organs that are sitting in the pelvis and their relationships. So basically pelvis, you can uh, think of it as a big basin in a way, and the pelvic muscles comprise the floor of that bony uh, ring. It's, it's, a, it's a ring, pelvis is a ring. But the pelvic muscles sit on the bottom of it and they form a shape of a bowl. So if you think of the bottom of the bowl, these, this is the location where the pelvic floor muscles should be. When they have normal tone, that shape of a bowl is preserved. 
when the pelvic floor muscles have low tone, then that bowl shape tends to become lower. So weak, maybe weak, weak muscle. Weak or muscles, yeah, that also can lead to the prolapse, but it, uh, pe uh, pelvic organ prolapse. But basically that um, sort of con concave shape becomes even more concave if mm -hmm. we're looking at it from the inside. Mm -hmm. With pelvic pain, a lot of times what happens, the pelvic muscles become tight and painful and spastic because they're trying to protect a person from pain. That's just their normal uh, evolutionally driven response. So what the muscles do, they actually jump up. And instead of the bowl shape, and we can actually feel it on the exam, the muscles jump up and the floor becomes much more convex as if one were doing the Kegel exercise. So it's like persistent Kegel. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't recommend Kegels with people who have hypertonic muscles. So instead of this bowl shape, it becomes literally uh, like a very taut truss mm -hmm. that stays up the entire time. And as it stays up, it also closes the anal sphincter, it closes the vaginal entrance as well. Mm -hmm. When you touch a muscle like this, not only it is painful, but it feels very taut as a very strong, taut bend. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important to assess the left and the right side of the uh, pelvic floor musculature because we have a left and the right side set of pelvic floor muscles. Thank you. So all those management strategies that you just shared with us, physical therapy, I mean, that is what we specialize in is muscles. I mean, this is our... This is what we study for a very long time. You've been studying this for a very long time. You have a lot of experience. And can you share maybe some success stories or anyone, you know, maybe some experiences you've had, what has helped? It doesn't need to be specific, but just something that maybe comes to mind of someone who has very tight muscles, maybe just got married, Maybe they were a virgin when they got married and they're experiencing um, sex uh, painful penetration. Do you have any? Yes, I do. I have a story of the patient who was a virgin before marriage. Um, she got married, but her marriage was never truly consummated. Mm. She actually conceived her child without the actual penetration. It was literally <laughs> like a Virgin Mary. Mm. She was able to conceive that way, and she was able to carry the baby term. Yes, it's hard to imagine, but nevertheless. Obviously, during the delivery, she tried to deliver vaginally, but the pelvic floor muscles in the vaginal canal would never open up. She ended up with a cesarean section. And only in the postpartum period, uh, which actually is an important point to bring the postpartum period, mm, she and her husband and the little baby, five months old, they came in. Um, she was given, apparently, before she ever came to uh, my office, she was given a set of vaginal dilators, but she didn't know how to use them. 
She was never explained how, and she was not confident enough to know that this will help her. She didn't know enough anatomy to understand that this will be helpful enough. Um, so they arrived and um, during the exam it became apparent she, she also thought there was something wrong with her nerves. She, called, she didn't call them muscles. She didn't know what they were, but because they were so painful, she called them nerves. And I explained to her and showed her the model of the muscles and how they are. And uh, during the exam, it became apparent that there's absolutely nothing wrong with her. She just has very, very tight musculature. And before my eyes, she started changing. Just the realization that she's normal. Yeah. that it does happen, that uh, no one ever educated her how to stretch the muscles. It was never culturally, religiously appropriate, but here she is, a mother, a wife, that is not able to actually perform her marital duties. Um, that was huge. That is big. It, it, was, it was monumental in her paradigm shift it was a true paradigm shift about her own ability to recognize what her body is capable of doing mm -hmm. I have to mention that this particular patient had a chronic history of constipation and very difficult bowel movements so the rectal examination that I performed was extremely painful mm -hmm. and most likely the pain that was in the rectal canal and the pelvic muscles that are surrounding the rectal canal, which are the same as the vaginal canal, that was driving, that mm -hmm. was giving an additional source of pain for uh, vaginal penetration. Yeah. So we were working on the positioning for defecation. We were working on, we were doing manual therapy uh, for the pelvic floor muscles in the rectal area. And for home program, she consistently used the vaginal dilators that were given to her almost a year before she saw me. She progressed very quickly. Unfortunately, she stopped coming because there were some family issues and uh, there were some other things that I wish she would address more. This is when the multidisciplinary approach comes in. I think uh, this patient would benefit a lot from the marriage and family counselor as well as from the behavioral counselor because she did have anxiety she did have some um, symptoms of um, mental distress and I also think that she had some postpartum depression so uh, what I was doing was helpful but I knew that she needed uh, more help in the um, emotional and mental um, management of her symptoms yeah, can we talk a little bit about that relational component, the social component, because the social pain, what you just described, and also the physical pain is registered in the brain in the same location. So can we talk just how that can cycle and maybe, like you mentioned, going to visit a family, marriage and family therapist or a psychologist well, there's to a help with that? Uh, Sure, that the referral, let's say in Kaiser system, it's a self uh, referral. People can just call and see 
at least at the initial intake, they can see a therapist. And I also think they have to be directed to a person who can address those issues specifically. Um, I think this is really the key point because if they're just going to see a psychologist or a behavioral therapist for general um, anxiety, it's not going to be enough. It has to be specifically somebody who deals with sexual pain. Uh, that's why I bring the point of sexologist or a sex therapist being on the team as well. Uh, yeah. but there is there is a um, condition that's called psychogenic dyspareunia because anxiety and marital adjustments shown to be uh, predictors of the vaginal pain. Yeah, I mean, that's pain. If you were so excited to get married, you get married and then you have pain and then the component of what that would do to your marital relationship and yes. the pain. Yeah right there. Absolutely. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is shown to be the most effective in reducing the anxiety and fear related uh, to dyspareunia. And uh, it focuses on the patterns of thinking and helps to identify which behaviors are associated with negative thoughts and feelings and trying to convert those behaviors into the positive thoughts and feelings. That's good. That is the goal of the cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. But it should be done in conjunction with uh, physical therapy as well. Um, as I said, dyspareunia is a sexual disorder. It can occur together with decreased libido, uh, anorgasmia, uh, incontinence during the intercourse. There's just myriads of things. It needs to be addressed uh, on a very specific and serious level. Yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you for being here and giving us such a comprehensive view of what to do when you have um, pelvic pain with intercourse. So thank you. I think this has been really helpful. Can you give some resources uh, that you might suggest for women to help understand this a little better? International Pelvic Pain Society is one resource. Also, our very own American Physical Therapy Association section on the women's health, the National Vulvodynia Association, uh, Interstitial Cystitis Association, and Endometri Endometriosis Association with international member um, involvement. Those are very, very good resources for people to find out about dyspareunia, pelvic pain in general, how to deal with it, how to manage it, read about the pain centralization um, phenomena, and also maybe look at the work of pain centralization by David Butler and Lorimer, mostly just uh, as a separate entity mm -hmm. um, that would help to um, clear a lot of hidden messages. Um, there are a lot of good websites. There's um, there's a website that's called sexualrehab.com. Um, it's by one of my mentors um, who is a sex sexologist. Talks about sexual pain. Yeah, I think um, if you are suffering with this right now, I think the main thing is just being willing to talk about it with someone that you feel safe with. 
Sims I think like this is the most important thing because the safety net and the privacy mm-hmm. and the respect that this condition, the this state deserves is incredibly important. That's why I'm so excited and so grateful to you, Beth, to be able to spread the word to our women and men and actually anyone um, who is suffering with this condition right now because we need to talk about it and we need to be open and people need to be able to find professional help mm-hmm. uh, right away. Yeah. So to not suffer alone, to go and seek someone. And I thank you for all those websites. Yes. Um, Herman and Wallace has a nice website also where they have certification for, you can find a certified uh, pelvic floor. Yes, so American Physical Therapy Association uh, section on women's health and Herman and Wallace uh, Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute, they do have uh, a resource directory where you can find a pelvic floor physical therapist. Also, Baral Institute, uh, where um, I take a lot of visceral courses, has a practitioner directory where, let's say, I advertise and anyone who is doing visceral work, uh, where I list all my qualifications as a pelvic floor physical therapist as well. So that may be another resource. Because a lot of times you can calm down the nerves by working with the pelvic viscera. Yeah, thank you. So if you were to give hope for a woman right now who's suffering with this and it is greatly affecting their relationship and maybe they have pain they've never experienced an orgasm they don't know the beauty that is in this relationship could you give maybe some hope to someone that maybe uh you have seen you know you've been doing this for so long and i highly respect you but to just give give a woman hope I think I do this on a daily basis. <laughs> um, for me, the most important component is to educate people, to tell them um, what is happening with them, why it's happening with them within my scope of practice, and also instill in them the fact that these conditions however painful and difficult they are, they're quite manageable. Mm. They are manageable with physical means, um, not necessarily with medications unless they have medical issues as well. And they're treated uh, just, just like any other condition. If they had a shoulder problem or a knee problem or a hip problem, it, I don't really there, there's no difference for me. Yes, it, it's all the same. But I really think that this, the the biggest component is education on physiology and anatomy and uh, understanding of pain. That alone gives people hope right away. That's great. And uh, I guess 
any physical therapist experience working with patients with pelvic pain and uh, having enough evidence, research evidence that supports the use of physical therapy for pelvic pain. I think that alone yeah. gives people hope. I hear that from patients every single time. You know, you've taught me how to breathe. You've taught me how to sit on the toilet. You've taught me how to open my muscles. Uh, mm-hmm. And that enabled me to, let's say, empty completely. It enabled me to reduce the pain with the intercourse. You told me how to use the dilators. You explained it to me. I have success with um, intimacy with my husband. That is, that is huge. It is huge. I had one patient come in one time. She had urinary incontinence, but during the evaluation, I realized she has voiding dysfunction. And she told me she's trying to conceive. I um, evaluated her pelvic muscles. They were really uh, high tone. And I just told her to let them go, to open up. Yeah. She came in last week. She'd, she is eight weeks pregnant. Wow. From one appointment when I asked her to open her pelvic muscles, to let them go. So mm. the intercourse happened, she conceived, and she's carrying a child. Amazing. That's great. Really great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing hope. Thank you for sharing tips and just your knowledge. Is there anything else you would like to say before we close? I really thank you, Beth, for launching these podcasts and um, teaching the general public that help is available out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, We are the speakers that actually bring hope. I think those podcasts alone um, are just little miracles. And if people are listening out there, it can give them a lot of um, positive inspirations. Yeah. And I just, um, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to... um, spread the word and we need to do more of this as as a profession yeah well thank you thank you so much for being here today thank you likewise balanced by beth is a podcast to inspire women to live strong the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personal medical advice